Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see everybody here today. Um, I would, yeah, as Amy mentioned, I do want to acknowledge the fact that we have a new leader of our nation, and I don't want us to uh, shy away from that. Normally, I would be okay about praying uh, for our leader and whatnot, um, because, you know, by God's grace, uh, he has been faithful just for for another season, of course, evermore, but for another season. Normally, I I would talk about uh, that a little bit more, but I think today we're just going to jump right into the passage. Um, We're going to continue through our sermon series on Romans. So if you guys can open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the ESV. Um, I don't know what you guys are reading from. The NRSV, the NIV, uh, those are all fine. But I'll be reading from the ESV. Um, Before I read, I just want to give a little disclaimer yet again. Just Maybe we should just have this disclaimer just be overarching throughout the Book of Romans. The Book of Romans is not written by Pastor Jane. It is written by the Lord. And so everything that Pastor Jane preaches from in terms of the context or the exegesis of the passage has nothing to do with Pastor Jane and 100% to do with whatever God has put in his scripture. Uh, I am wrestling with this idea of hope and sufferings, um, but that is today's sermon title, Hope and Suffering. So I, I, I just want you guys to know, like, don't take it personally. I'm not att- attacking anybody personally, um, but let's just be open to God's word together, shall we? All right, Romans chapter 5. I'm just going to read through, because I'm not preaching from uh, 12 to 21, and that's going to be for next week. It's going to be attached to Romans 6, but I I just want to, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace by which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, 
Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? Abba, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Abba, we just want to give you glory right now. Father, protect us from any and all distractions that might come our way. As this word is something that the devil does not want us to hear. But God, I pray that there will be genuine wrestling in this, in this worship today. Father, we have been in quarantine way too long. We have not been able to worship in person for way, way too long. And yet, God, you are still good to our congregation. You are still good to us. So God, we just pray you would receive glory, receive glory in us, through us. And Abba, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take us to the next level with you so that we could understand what is being preached to us. Father God, we pray that you would protect our minds and our hearts against any and all distractions that might keep us from understanding what you have for us. God, that we would not just rely on my words or the words of another person for our faith, but God, that we would be able to engage in relationship with you. That as we wrestle with suffering, Father God, that we would be able to rejoice in you and look to you, God. Wrestle with you, God. Last but not least, God, would you, would you, would you hide me behind your cross? It is not my words, but it is yours. So God, may every single word that leaves my mouth be yours and yours alone. To you be all the glory and all the honor and all of the praise. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. I'm just going to keep moving. I'm just going to keep moving forward. The first thing is that, you know, it starts with, the passage starts with this, this word called therefore. The word therefore connects Romans 5 to Romans 4. So for those of you guys who might not have been uh, at service for Romans 4, that's fine. Uh, I do advise, <laughs> you might not want to miss uh, Romans, but therefore, that points to last week. And last week was counted by him as righteous. Uh, how, the, how the faith that we have received in Christ um, Helps us to be counted by him as righteous. Allows us to step into the grace that we stand in. Romans 5 moves past that. Therefore, because we have been counted by him as righteous, because we have been justified by faith, we have, and it says three things. The first thing is peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to focus in on this word peace. Before I focus in on this word peace, I want to ask, what does peace mean to you? What does this word peace mean to you? 
full disclosure, I need you guys to have open hearts and open ears and open minds to every question I ask you because I'm going to try to make this as bite-sized as I can. What, what does peace mean to you? Maybe you can think of a working definition in your life. What does peace mean to you? Amy, what does peace mean to you? No relational conflicts. That is actually ah, 1.5. Because you know you have to study it. But that's... but all, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. When I first started the word peace, I was like, mm, peace. <laughs> mm, peace. Uh, but Amy said, no conflict. And that's actually kind of uh, the best way to describe the English version of that word. So the word in, in, in English, when we think about peace, it often is almost used in this negative sense where, and by negative, I don't mean bad, but by negative, I mean to not do something as opposed to positively doing something. So a negative action versus a positive action. So a lot of the times in the word in the in- English, peace is almost this negative word where it's, it's kind of like, you know how like darkness is the absence of life, like light or life, Jesus. Um, but <laughs> peace is the absence of war or hostility or conflict. But in the Jewish context, shalom is positive. So in maybe a better translation for shalom would be peace with all people and wellness. Peace and wellness and harmony, and, you know, kindness amongst God's people. So peace, Jewish peace, was a positive peace. It was an active peace and not a passive peace. And so when it says that we have peace with God, you might think of the word peace, I I mean, I I was... um, you know, reflecting on where in the other parts of the Bible the word peace is used. And this one really, you know, called out to me. Isaiah 32, 17 through 18. I'll just read it for you guys. Isaiah 32, 17 through 18 has a pretty working definition of faith, uh, peace. And the effect of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. And it's this idea of an objective state of harmony with God that believers who have been justified enjoy. You know, when I was reading Isaiah 32, 17 through 18, this is kind of a side note. Because you know how it says, my people will abide in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. I was like, Dang, the two retreats I went on right before quarantine were abide and dwelling place. And I was like, oh, shaka piti. When God, <laughs> when God offers peace before the storm, um, just made me reflect on on how God prepares us often more than we realize for things that will come our way. Uh, so peace is this objective state of harmony with God that believers who have been justified enjoy. So it's this positive, active peace. It's not a passive peace. It's not an absence of conflict or an absence of war, 
But peace with God is a positive state of harmony with the believers in the presence of God, with God's witnesses and with God, in God, that believers who have been justified enjoy. So there's this understanding of inner peace, peace with God, peace in God, and peace with God, an outward peace. But I'm going to go into that a little bit in, in the application today. That's the first thing. That's the first thing that is offered, peace with God. The second thing that is offered is access by faith into grace. I think somebody needs to be let in. Um, access by faith into grace. So this word is normally used as a word um, that often, I mean, this word actually in the original language, one of the only words that have similar definitions, similar working definitions. But um, access by faith, the word access is kind of the same word that you would use as like an access to a president. an access to somebody, an access to a higher power. And so normally this word is used, you know, access to God. Because in the Jewish custom, there was a lot that had to be done in order for us to have access to God because people were sinful and Christ had not yet come. And so there was no sense of this, like, there was no sense of communion with God, not in the Jewish context. Um... So normally you would use this in this understanding of access to God, but then Paul kind of like curveballs you with the word grace. Access to grace. And then, number three, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So recounting, the first thing that we have in justification by faith is, number one, peace with God through Jesus Christ. The second thing is access by faith into grace. And the third thing is rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. The hope we have as Christians to share in God's glory. Rejoicing, taking confidence in and boasting in. Rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. What do you think of when you think of rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God? For me, when I hear that word, when I hear the word rejoice, I think I think of Christmas. The weary world rejoices. You know, I think I, I think I think of Christmas. Um, and so when you think of rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, you might think of this positive connotation of waiting on God. That God is going to bring something good. And then, right, and you know, oh, the word rejoicing in, in, in the original language, um, it has this connotation it has this like underlying meaning of confidence and almost this like boasting in so it's like when you're confident in something when you're rejoicing in something it's almost like this level of boastfulness like yes i've got this grade on this test or yes like i've got this job offer or yes like my family is doing well like this rejoicing is almost like this confidence almost this boastfulness and it's like this active, vivacious, vigorous action, right? You rejoice, not just, oh, whoopee, like not just, yes, this small flag you wave in the air, but an active, vivacious, lively confidence, verbal, physical confidence in the hope of the glory of God. So like, yes, won't he do it, right? This kind of like praise break kind of, you know, testimonial kind of, you know, everybody get on your knees kind of 
rejoice, right? And then right at that point, Paul takes it another way. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Ba-bam. So like, it goes from, there's like no chill with Paul. If you really think about it, it literally goes from justification by faith into this active peace, this access to grace, and then rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And then it goes, bam, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. At first glance, when you hear that, knowing that rejoicing is this like vivacious, lively, active action of rejoicing, what do you think of? Do you rejoice in your sufferings? I do not rejoice in my sufferings like that. It is hard. Right? It's this taking confidence in and boasting in your sufferings. I think some at this point might feel like like people who haven't in, in experienced like really painful suffering might at this point think Christianity will make their lives easy. Like, oh, okay, so I'm going to be able to rejoice in my suffering. So my sufferings aren't going to affect me, right? And we think like, oh, Christianity is going to make our lives easy. But other, other cynics might call Paul idealistic. I don't know where you guys come from, but I am an Enneagram 6. And what that means is that I am the most doubtful, the most cynical, and the most fearful of all the types of personalities, right? And so when I hear the words rejoicing in your sufferings, I'm like, you're right. Yeah, right, right? Now the word suffering means it's a plural word. And so let's, if we break this down a little bit, the word suffering is in in the in the Greek, it, it's the word directly or woodenly translates as tribulations, right? Um, hardships, and it's in plural. And Paul is getting at here. He's saying, "Yes, Christians will suffer, but life's difficulties do not contradict God's blessings or His will for you." Yes, Christians will suffer but the difficulties of life do not contradict god's blessings or his will for you and there's this i mean there's this loftiness about suffering and about how god says this that we might not understand but i just want to I want to give a worldly, not a worldly, but a more, like a more, because we're going to go into how we can apply this and the depth of what this means in a little bit. But if you guys can just even try to fathom, you know, what does it mean that we can rejoice in our sufferings because we have hope in the glory of God? When you're going through something, I don't know if y'all know this. But it is so much harder to go through something alone than it is with people. Like when I when I first experienced grief, it was so um, resoundingly loud. I remember the room was completely quiet, but the grief was so loud. It was so 
I wasn't able to cry. I wasn't able to do anything. It was just kind of, I just, we were just, I was just sitting in the reality of my pain. And it was so, like the room is quiet, but it was so loud. And I remember the thing that I, the next thing I did is I, I just pulled up like my chat for me, me and my sweetmates because uh, when I had experienced grief, I was in college and I pulled up the, the group chat and I just said to my, my sweetmates, hey, this person died. Um, and I'll, I'll, not, I'll not forget this. My friends are not the perf- most perfect friends and I am not the most perfect friend. Um, we've been through hell and high water together, but, um, I'll never, I'll always be very thankful for this. I remember, uh, my friend Sharon, she kind of just, she kind of just swooped in. She's kind of, she's this, I really hope Sharona that you never see this. Um, <laughs> so she won't, she doesn't, but, um, yes. Yeah, so Sharon is like, you're a typical ABG. I don't, there is actually no typical ABG in New England. So I don't really know how to explain this to you, but like, like dyed hair, falsies, lash extensions, really long nails, sushi, boba, darker skin, you know, really cute that, you know, she's just your idea of one of those people that you don't mess with in Flushing, New York. Right. And, um, Sharon, like, is, she comes off really strong and she comes off really scary, but she's really sweet. And I remember, um, when I said, hey, this person passed, like, everybody was kind of in shock. But the first thing Sharon did, because Sharon was the only one that can drive, she was like, okay. And Sharon is kind of like one of those, Sharon's a business major. I don't mean to say that all business majors are like this, but business majors, there's like this, some, some understanding of give and take, right? Um, it's not quite, <laughs> like, like Sharon's not Sharon's not the type of person to be afraid of being like, hey, that's mine. Or like, oh, I can't do that for you. Because for Sharon, it's not anything personal. Um, it's not even even just transactional. It's what she can and cannot do, right? Um, but she, I remember she was like, okay, where is everybody at right now? And so she went and she picked up every person um, and then picked me up. Um, I lived the furthest from everybody, but she came and she picked me up. And then she drive back to my roommate Shelly's house. And I actually spent my first night there. I wasn't even talking to them. Like I wasn't actually even talking to them because I was on the phone half the time with friends from um, high school who were grieving, who had called me to grieve. And so we were just expressing our pain, but I was more taking care of people because um, I was the best friend. And so everybody would call me. and so I was actually even on the phone half the night. I didn't even get to talk to my friends. I didn't get to cry to them. Um, I just, I just slept, but my friends were there. It was, it's a, it was quite a, I mean, it's a surreal experience, but it was also an interesting one because, you know, I, I lived with these girls for like three years, but I've never like spent a night not talking to them at all after they've come and picked me up. Um, but, and, and I was at my friend's house, but I I didn't actually interact with anybody. Um, and so it was really difficult and I think it was clear. My friends, my friends were understood because they had seen me like, they had seen me wail because I couldn't, I couldn't help it. Um, but I think 
I will always be thankful for that day, even if nobody said a word to me because they were there. And there's something to be said about going through suffering with somebody there. Oftentimes, we even might wonder, you know, if somebody passes, if somebody that is close to maybe a friend or a loved one passes and you're you're trying to navigate how to be there for that loved one, the best thing to be there, the, the best thing to do is just be there. Because no amount of words can bring that person back. No amount of words can make the situation better. But the only thing that people can handle and that people really honestly fundamentally need is for somebody else to be there, for them to not be alone in that. Uh, at least for the next couple of days, week, uh, my friends just kept tab on, tabs on me for where I was every every step of the way because it was right after the semester ended and so it was the beginning of spring break and so I actually spent the next couple weeks like never alone I like flew over to Chicago to see my my best friend from high school um did a lot of things I'm not proud of um self anyway but uh at the very least I think I have the fortune to say that at the first moment where grief rocked me and nearly tore at the fabric of my character, um, I had my, my, my community. Uh, and not just like my friends, not just my high school friends or anything like that, but, but my, my sisters, my sisters in Christ. Um, not to hold me by my hand, but just to be there. And I think, you know, that might make it a little bit more clear, but that's not, God is doing so much more than just that when he says, that we can rejoice in our sufferings. He's doing so much more than just that. But I just want to start off with that understanding. Like, when you're suffering, it is good to have somebody around. It is good to have somebody around. Keep that in mind for yourself. Don't ever go through suffering on your own. Uh, you weren't made to, you weren't designed to do that well. Um, and you know, sometimes when you're with the right person, maybe a significant other or your mom or your dad, it does make it better. Um, so, so yeah, so we get to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And there's this rejoicing, this taking confidence in and boasting in. And then Paul takes it another way and he says, sufferings, right? We rejoice in our sufferings. And I'm going to get into this in a little bit. But if we can just start off by thinking about that. But God does more, so much more than just companionship. Companionship makes us, eases our pain, but God does so much more than that. He bears our sufferings and he sits with us in the midst of our sufferings. You might feel like, no, God isn't with me when I suffer. You might feel like, no, God isn't there beside me when I suffer. But God God has done so much more than just be with you in your sufferings. You see, I was just explaining before that I didn't need my friends to have compassion on me. I didn't need my friends to even understand the pain that I was going through because uh, the pain of suicide is really unique. Um, it is really, it is a really debilitating pain. Um, yeah. Something about the willful, um, and yet, I didn't even need my friends to understand my pain. I just wanted them to be there, right? And and some of them were. 
But God intimately understands your suffering. And he goes into a little bit more of this in the verses to follow. He says, he goes into, in verse 6, he goes into, and I, I know, you, you're probably wondering, I'm skipping over the whole rejoice in our sufferings, produces endurance, endurances, endurance produces character, character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. That Those those verses are, are very applic, applicable. They're very much an application bit. And so I'm leaving them out for last. But I want you guys to understand that God is with you in your sufferings, first and foremost, that that God has real power in the midst of your sufferings. Um, but you might feel like God is not there and God does not understand. But God goes into a little bit more in verse 6. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see God's love for us in, in verses 5 through 8. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The word ungodly, it has to do with people who refuse to worship him. Rarely would a person give his or her life for somebody that they would even respect or love. Right, A soldier gives his life for his country. A parent gives his or her life for her children. And yet... And yet, God, at the right time, at the appointed, at Kairos, at the right appointed perfect time, Christ died for people who refused him. I was just talking about how suicide is a painful thing. But what I've come to realize, especially in my own life, is that suicide can be selfish. And what I mean by that is, and it's one of the reasons why when I was wrestling with my depression, I, I didn't end up going there, is because it is selfish. Um, it does not consider anybody else. And there are more noble deaths that are willing. For example, the death of a soldier who is willing to put his life down for his country, for liberty, for freedoms. A parent sacrificing their life for their children in a moment of danger. And yet, Christ willfully gave up his life as an active agent of crucifixion for the people that hated him, for people that did not receive him. If there is someone who has suffered, it is Christ. Better yet, Christ's suffering was directly related to you and I. And his suffering benefited us. But then God goes into not just his love for us, but he goes into his work for us. In Christ, in verses 9 through 11, he says, 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have now received reconciliation. So it's this laying out of this action that Christ has done for you and I. How he's died for the ungodly. How in Romans 5.8 it says, For God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And then he talks about the work that that has done in Christ. In verse 9, there are two, there are two verbs that are mainly going on here. And it's justification and reconciliation. In verse 9 it says he justified us. And in verse 10 it says he reconciled us to him. The word justified in verse 9 and reconciled. Some people think, oh, they're interchangeable. No, they're not. And I'm going to explain the nuance right now. Justification is declaring somebody innocent and taking away, forgiving them of their punishment, right? So justification is when God declares us as innocent and absolves us from punishment for our sins. And reconciliation, on the other hand, is removing hostility between us and him. So those two things are different. Justification is declaring innocence and absolving for punishment. And reconciliation is removing hostility. And then Paul reprises the rejoicing. He says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and through whom we have now received reconciliation. Hope does not disappoint here. Hope of the glory of God does not disappoint here. Why? Let me give you an example, right? For example, sorry, Tony. I know you're here now, so I have to use you as an example every week. Um, it was the only thing I can think of. I don't hope in a lot of things, guys. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm not kidding. Uh, so my little sister, um, for a while, she was really like, so nursing school was her dream. Um, it's a dream that she's had. You should ask her why she has that dream. She's probably going to cry. And that's why I'm not going to disclose why her dream exists. Um, because it's very tied to, you know, some of the greatest pain that she's ever experienced. But nursing has been a, a, a dream for her since high school. And the very one of the very first things I learned about Sony back when we weren't sisters and she, I was just her upperclassman, um, was her dream. To be a nurse and you know after she graduated she didn't have all the right rec- prerequisites she didn't have the grades she wanted and she needed to get into nursing school and we all know nursing school is very competitive and so not that I wasn't like at that point it's, it's kind of it's, it's a really challenging choice and she almost gave up multiple times you know um, but I told her like I believe in you at that point, as we hope towards, you know, her being able to pursue more and more of her dream, by the, which, by the way, I actually, I actually don't like that dream. Not that, you know, not that that actually plays any, any role. I didn't like the idea that my sister would have to clean up other people's feces and would have to miss church because work obligate, ob, ob, yeah, 
it, it, it obligates her to do that. Um, but it was her dream, so I, I continue to support her with her dream, and I still do. I, I think she's going to make a great nurse. Um, but at the time when she had first graduated, you know, she, she was really at a, almost like a dead end. And if the first, the, the, one of the first things you'll learn about Tony is that she gets, um, discouraged really easily. And so, um, you know, let's say she wants to go outside, but it's raining. Other than the fact that she likes rain, she'll get discouraged. She'll get discouraged by anything to stop her from doing what she wants, right? It's just like, oh, this per oh, you know, the water's on the, oh, you know, like anything, right? Any, any small trivial thing. Um, and she was clearly discouraged, but I, I remember I told her, I believe in you. And as she continued to work for it, I, I continued to remind her that I believed in her. And when I think about it, when I think about a hope that you can be confident in, I think about the person that you are confident in. See, Tony didn't have anything to show for that she's going to be able to make her dream, right? But I didn't believe in the circumstances. I wasn't hoping in her circumstances. I wasn't looking at her repertoire objectively. But it was the character of Tony and who she was as an individual. I believed that she could make it. They say that when you continue to say something, it will become reality. And I think we just continue to speak it until it happens. You know, she continued to work hard. And she really did. She did really well. And now she's, I'm so proud of her. She's in her second week of nursing school. And that, that is a testimony. Um, because when she at first, because at first in, in college, you can transfer into different schools because Binghamton's a university. And Decker School of Nursing in Binghamton is some of the best in New York. And uh, she tried to transfer, but she didn't get in. And, and that's why she finished with a human development degree. Um, and so we, her circumstances might not have been looking up, but we believed in, or at least I, but I believed in my little sister. And because I believed in who she was, I was able to hope, not just like as a pipe dream, but confidently hope and know that she can do whatever she put her mind to. And so she and I have this running thing um, because I support her infinitely. She was, as always, discouraged when uh, she started nursing. She was like, Jane, I'm going to drop out. Jane, I'm not going to make it. Oh my God, Jane, I'm so screwed for this test. I'm, I'm not going to do well. I'm, I, I'm so scared. You know, whatever, whatever, right? It's like rewriting and rewriting notes, just unnecessarily giving yourself carpal tunnel. Um, and just doing all of these things because she's afraid. And I have this thing that I always tell her. And this is what I tell her. I say, okay, do it. Do the best that you can. And if you fail, you'll live with me. <laughs> you have nothing, you have nothing to be afraid of because you will always have me right, right beside you, right? And if you fail, you can just take the class again. It's not a big deal, right? And I, I, I do this thing where I make light of her failings because it's not, it's not a big deal because the hope that we have in her as an individual, as a professional, as a woman of God, has nothing to do with what she's been able to accomplish and everything to do with what she already is in Christ, right? And what God has made her to be. And so even in my sister's acceptance, I was able to have confidence, even if the maybe the situation didn't line up the way perfectly, right? Because I was able to believe in her. If that's, if I can believe in my sister like that, 
How much more can you believe in a God who says that he is with you in your sufferings, who has gone through the sufferings that are unimaginable that you, so that you will never have to experience them, who did it for you while you refused him and gave you not just justification, not just absolving you from guilt, not just forgiving your sins, but also removing the hostility that stands between you and him. Even if your sufferings are hard, how much more can you hope in a God? Even if you feel like your sufferings aren't going to change, right? I explained these two things, right? About how you can, your sufferings, they take, they take different forms and they, they get easier when you're with people. Not because of what they can do for you, but just by the simple act of doing something, right? Or, or being there with somebody. And then this other element of believing in somebody, even if it doesn't look perfect, even if they might not have accomplished anything yet, you can believe in somebody because you love them and you genuinely believe in their character, right? If you can do this in a human environment, if human companionship, human relationships, and human love can ease the blow of suffering, of grief, can help build somebody up, lift somebody up to the point of really being able to reach for their dreams and getting there. How much more does it mean that our God is not only with you in your sufferings, but has gone through it, who is not only sitting with you in your pain, but has gone through a greater suffering so that you will never have to go through it. And then on top of that, that he has won it all. That he has won the victory. That he has not just died, but that he resurrected. He has justified you and reconciled you to himself. What does it mean to you in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your season, in the midst of your season of whatever it may be, your tribulation, your complacency, your block with God, you know, relational conflicts. Maybe you're having a hard time reaching for your own dreams. Maybe you're going through something painful with your family. Maybe you can't even explain it, the pain that you're experiencing. Maybe you're just going through something that's really dark. Maybe you're going through grief like me. Or maybe you're recovering from grief. And sometimes our suffering is so loud that we don't let our God speak into it. Sometimes our tribulation and our conflict is so painful that we don't let God speak into it. The good news has always been there. And yet, we look at our pain and we look at God and it does nothing for us. But that might be because you haven't internalized these two things. That God is not just with you, but that he's experienced the pain greater than yours. For your sake. And that we don't need to just have confidence and hope. But hope is just our reality. Because we're, we're not just believing in our loved ones. It's not the same thing as believing in another person. God has done it all. He's the creator of the universe and he has already done it all. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. He, he has already done it. The last of it has not come to pass. But he, he's already done it. How much more can you hope with a God that has done the impossible? 
Now we've been talking about rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God in the midst of suffering. We've been talking about not a passive peace that just happens to you, an active a passive lack of hostility, but an active peace, a wellness, an access into grace by faith. We've been talking about how God loves us and how we can hope. And we have these three things. We have these things because God loves us and because God has done the work of redemption. We talk about all these things. But y'all know something about suffering, right? Suffering is painful. Suffering is gruesome. Suffering is awful. And so many of you guys might be wondering, Jane, I hear you. Like I objectively hear what you're saying, but I can't rejoice right now. The hope and salvation is not as visible as my suffering. My hope and salvation is not as visible as my suffering. So how do we apply this? How do we apply the hope of salvation not being as visible as your suffering? How can you apply this understanding that God is with us in our sufferings? How, how can we... How can we actually make something of it? The first thing I want to ask is, what does peace mean for you? I asked this before. What does peace mean for you? For some of us, peace might mean good things. But often, based on our baggage, the word peace can be really muddled. For Amy, based on her experiences and her life, Peace means an absence of conflict. Wesley, what does peace mean for you? What is this? For all of us, based on our own experiences, peace can mean different things. But peace is not just an absence of pain or hostility, but it is a positive blessing. I'm going to go in a little bit about this inner and outer peace, right? And the inner peace of God, what that looks like is security. An inner peace of God, what that looks like is security. A security in your relationships because God loves you. A security in your future because God loves you. Not that everything is going to be rainbows and butterflies. Not that you're not going to experience hardships. But peace, inner peace of God is security. It manifests as security in us. Because we have peace that transcends our circumstances. Because God is with us. He is for us and not against us. And he loves us. So what inner peace of God practically looks like, I know a lot of you guys might like practical, you know, tangible application. It practically looks like security. 
Are you secure in God over your circumstances and your relationships? Where do you place your security? I have been recently unearthing the fact that I, I my security rests in the people I love. Um, you know, people that are significant to me. For example, maybe a significant other or or parents or family. Not even really family, just my just my mom and dad. Um, as in like the adults, because Tommy and I are a bit different. We're just stuck together forever. Um, but in terms of you know finding security, I often find security in my two my two pillars and people, right? And God has been uprooting that a little bit in me. Uh, that's been the first work that he's been doing in 2021. What about you? Where do you find your security? Often, when you find security in something other than God, that disrupts your peace. And then this peace with God, it manifests in your life as serenity. As an active blessing. Because peace is not the absence of pain, but it is a positive blessing. And it doesn't mean that we will have no more problems. But it often has to do with where we place our trust. What does it mean? What does verse, I could have done a whole sermon on just Romans 5, Romans chapter 5 verse 1. I could have done a whole sermon on just the word peace. What does peace mean for you? Where do you find your security? Where do you put your trust? And that will be indicative of whether or not you do find peace in God. Or you do have peace in God. Some of you guys might wonder, how come my, I have the Lord, how come I don't have any peace? It might have to do with your security. God has chosen to bless us with his grace. That does not mean that we will have no more problems. I've just communicated really hard truths about suffering, right? That God is not just with us like a friend, but that he is under he understands us far greater than anybody else. That God is not just somebody that we hope in that's good. God is greater than the best thing that we can ever hope in in this world. The best person that we can ever hope in in this world. And better yet, God has gone through suffering so that we won't have to be separated from him forever. He's gone through the impossible so that we don't have to do it. And he's chosen to bless us with his grace. But that doesn't mean that we will have no more problems. Don't take it in a literal sense and be like, oh, because I'm having hard circumstances, God's not with me. That's not what this passage was ever trying to say. When difficult trials come your way, you recognize God and wrestle with God. What does trusting God and finding security in God look like when you're suffering? It's crying out to the Lord. 
What does finding your security in the Lord look like in times of trial, in times of uncertainty, in times of pain? It's crying out to the Lord and wrestling with him. Recognize God. Just start off by recognizing God. When you're in the midst of prayer, when you're going through suffering, just start off by recognizing God. God, I recognize that you're here. God, I don't feel it in my heart. My heart is in too much pain. The circumstances around me are too uneasy. I feel hopeless. But I recognize that you are with me. Recognize God. And wrestle with him. Do you have any bitterness or hardness towards the Lord for what you have been through? Maybe this past year. Maybe in general. Maybe you're going through a hard time with your family. Maybe you're just going through a hard transition in your life. Maybe you're bitter towards a friend. Maybe you're bitter towards family. Maybe you're bitter towards God. That you had to go through suffering. Oftentimes, when we just force our way through healing without actually really dealing with pain, a scab of hardness and bitterness forms over it. And it gets really hard to break past that. Bitterness is this rock that's lodged. It doesn't leave. It doesn't get broken apart easily. Bitterness doesn't fade easily. Neither does hardness. Once your heart hardens, it's really hard to soften. That's why Ezekiel says, I will take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Because you couldn't even melt that heart. So the only thing that God could do for Israel is to send Jesus and just give them a whole new covenant entirely. Hardness and bitterness are toxic for the soul and really hard to dislodge. But the way to dissemble, disassemble bitterness and hardness in the context of suffering is recognizing Christ's suffering for you and confronting yourself with that. I know, I know, it sounds so cliche. But if I look back, the reason why I was able to fully reconcile with my family, the reason why I was able to go through excruciating things and be okay, enough to be your pastor, The reason for that was only scripture and prayer and community. Immersing myself in community without expecting them to be my savior. Right? Nobody's meant to do for you what only Jesus can do. In fact, every single person is limited and can only have your one role. Sonia is my sister. She can only be my sister. We are also friends, but she cannot be my significant other. She cannot be my everything. She's my sister. That's gross. Not that you're gross, you know, the act. Okay. Um, it's, we all have our own individual roles. We can't be everything for everybody. Me as a friend to Amy, it's already complicated as it is that she listens to my sermons and we serve together and we're really close friends and we live together. 
But that's it. That's all I can. That's a lot. But that's all. That's all. I cannot be everything for her. I cannot be family. I cannot be this and that. I can't be the world to her. And the way to disassemble bitterness and hardness is something only God can do, not a person in your life. Not any singular moment of healing or restoration or reconciliation. If you're looking to another person for healing, stop it. It's not going to get you anywhere. Getting in a relationship is not going to heal your pain. Reconciling your family is not going to restore all the other relationships in your life. Reconciling with this one friend is not going to make your whole life better. Only God, only God, only God can disassemble the pain and brokenness in your life. The example that I come, I've I've been saving this illustration for months, y'all. But we have a we have a table in our home, and it's the Margaret table. If y'all know Off White, I know it's pretty crazy. But we the the biggest thing from Off White that I own is that table. We jointly own an Off White IKEA table, um, and when we were trying to take it out of the as is clearance section, we couldn't disassemble it for the life of us. We tried to because my 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 ta- my uh, my car is big, right? So we put everything down and we tried our best to fit it in one way, put it diagonally fitted in another way. It wouldn't go in. And so the only thing that we could, because I don't know if you know anything about the IKEA clearance section, it, it comes as is and you have to somehow fit your furniture in, otherwise you can't take it home. Right? And so we were like, oh, we got to take this thing home. And so we were trying our best. We were literally doing acrobatics with my poor car and that poor hunk of wood, but it wouldn't work. And so we were trying to take out the 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 legs but it wouldn't come out it was this weird gizmo where you had this rolly thing in and like apparently the table was really known for it's like like science of not needing any equipment doesn't need any like doesn't need any tool you just it's simple quick assembly but for the life of us it would not get out of the freaking table okay it could not be yanked out it could not be like nothing worked right so me and wesley we went up to ikea's um like, what is it? Customer service center. And they were like, oh, the Margaret table? Besides the fact that they were like low-key freaking out on the side that we bought that IKEA table and they did it even though it was there the whole time. Um, they gave us the key that we can use to disassemble. Let me tell you guys, when I when we had the key, Wesley and I were talking about this the whole time because it was so foolish because we were really like, we were really putting like all our strength in and nothing was working. We were like literally like Tim was like really shoving his finger in there to try to turn, but it wasn't working, right? And so we go and we get the key and straight up 30 seconds. Like I'm not even joking with you. You put in the key and then it just you just you just do this a couple times and it just came out. And we're just looking at the legs. Nobody nobody talked after that. Like literally no like, nobody talked after that. Me and Wesley, we tried to give the keys back. They were like, no, you guys can have it. We're, we're coming back down with the key. And we're like, nobody. We're like, <laughs> I think I remember telling him, like, we're not going to talk about this. You know? Because it was so easy if you had the right key. But without it, it was impossible. 
something like pain, something as sensitive as suffering and pain and bitterness and hardness has a specific key to disassemble. We can try to, you know, do this and that with it. We can try to fit in a friend, fit in a relationship, fit in a restored family. We can try our best, but the only thing that will heal the root of pain in your heart is God. So if you're trying to do everything for yourself, work on your future, work on yourself, work on your job, work on everything, but not address God, let me tell you, spoiler alert, you ain't going to get anywhere. Because that's not how it works. Recognize God. Wrestle with God. Jane, wrestling with God is hard. I give up easily. That's okay. Just like resistance, how resistance to a muscle strengthens the muscle. Challenges to your hope will only strengthen it in the end. So come up against it. You have peace with God. And what does that look like? Security. So you have the security and the love of God and the justification and the reconciliation that Christ brought for you because he loves you. That's how he demonstrated his love for you. And you have this access into faith and you have this peace with God. And so what? Now you can wrestle. Because wrestling with God isn't going to break apart the existence of God. Just because you wrestle with God, just because you doubt him and have questions, that doesn't mean that God's going to go away. Just because you're having a hard time with God, that doesn't mean God's going to go away. God's never going to go away. But there are certain things in your life that are lodged, that are hurting you, that can only be disassembled with the key of God's grace. Whether or not you're willing to do that is up to you. But let me tell you, until you do that, it's not going to get solved. You are not Bob the Builder. You are not, no person is a Mr. Fix-It. No friend, no love, no family member, not even me. Only God can dislodge the bitterness in your heart. And so you've got to rub up against it. You've got to have friction with it and wrestle with it and not leave, not turn away and push God out. You've got to wrestle with what it means to find security in God. That might mean that you might have to grieve some relationships. You might have to be in pain about certain things. But if you have security in God, then you're safe. You're safe to cry. It's safe to be in pain. It's safe to wrestle with the difficult questions of why bad things happen to good people. You're safe to do all of these things because you have peace with God. It's safe to wonder, God, what are you doing with my life? And be mad at him about it and talk to him about it. Because you're safe. You're safe to do that. Rejoice 
Last but not least, rejoice in the midst of suffering, not in suffering. Somebody told me, I think it was John Piper. It was a John Piper quote, but somebody told it to me. It's joy is buoyancy over your circumstances. Buoyancy. Oh, have you ever seen a, is it called a boy? A buoy. And it's this thing that stays afloat in water. Right? Just kind of like floats. Joy is a buoyancy over your circumstances. Right? So some of us, I know, we have we have our beloved Christian over there. He likes to say the word pain. Um, and sometimes pain might be a greater friend to us than God. Sometimes the darkness is more comfortable than coming into the light. Sometimes being alone and feeling the familiar ache of loss and longing is easier than daring to believe that God has something better for you, daring to believe that God loves you. Sometimes even holding God, holding your pain against God is more of a friend than God himself. But we're, we're not called to rejoice in pain. We're called to rejoice in the midst of pain. But rejoicing, it happens step by step. Do you want to be strengthened? Will you use your life's, in the midst of your life's challenges, will you use that to disprove God or dare to let God into that space? Will you talk to him about it? Will you work at it with him every day? And maybe six months into working at it with him, you might come to me being like, Jane, it's done nothing for me. But two years down the line, I promise you, you'll see it. God is with you. And you can have peace with God. What does that mean for you? We return to verse 3 when we say suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. I didn't realize what that meant. In all my life, I really struggled with it. To be honest, I still am wrestling, but I think I understand it a little bit better now. That my hope in God has gotten far deeper than it has ever been before as I suffer. I didn't even know what hope was until I suffered. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what believing in God meant until I suffered. Does that mean that God wishes suffering upon us? No. It's not like that. But when you suffer, you learn to endure. As you endure, it builds character in you. And when that character is rooted in God, 
rooted in the security of God and who you are in God, but most importantly in what God has done for you. It produces this hope that nobody can take away. It's like a diamond. A diamond is made out of very specific circumstances and a very specific excruciating amount of pressure that turns a lump of coal into a beautiful gem. Without those circumstances, without that environment, a diamond can't be made. The hope we have in God is like that. Some of you guys might be thinking right now, I don't want it. God sucks and I don't want it. To you I say, I relate. It's hard. I'm not not addressing that your pain is there. It's hard. But in Christ, you can heal. In Christ, you have a hope that you can't find anywhere else. So you have this problem that you're confronted with. And you might be fitting all of these solutions into that one problem. But I came here to tell you today that only the love of Christ can do that for you. What does it mean for you that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? How can you find hope in that? The reality of Christ, his pain, the blood he shed, So that you can go to him. He doesn't just love your mom or your sister or your brother or your friends. He loves you. Will you pray with me right now? Let's wrestle with this together. For those of you guys who are bitter or hardened, for those of you guys who are struggling, can we wrestle together right now? Maybe you guys are stuck in your faith. Maybe you're lodged in this place of distance. You're complacent about feeling unloved by God. But instead of blaming God for the problems and the pain that man has brought upon each other, would we allow ourselves to be confronted with the gospel of grace? In a real way. Not in a shallow way. But really. Will you dare to let God into that space with you? Life's difficulties do not contradict 
God's blessings for you. But you can question it. Because God loves you. God understands you. He sees you. He is with you. He is crying with you. He sees every tear that falls. He sees every moment of longing, of loss. He sees you. He knows you. He made you. He died for you so you can hope in him. If you're wrestling with that, would you just open your heart to the possibility that God is with you? Would you open your heart to the possibility that God might understand? Would you open your heart to the possibility that God loves you? And for those of us who are wrestling, would we just continue to press into what that means for us? For those of us who are bitter, would we allow ourselves to be confronted with the key? What does it mean that God loves you and that God loves the person that you might be bitter at? What does it mean that God loves you in the midst of your bitterness at him? What does it mean that God is here for you and that he understands you when you're bitter at the situation? What does it mean to apply the fact that Christ died for you? Let's take a moment to pray. Let's lift that up to the Lord. Let's pray. God, we're just asking for grace. We're just asking for grace. We're just asking for love.
I'm suffering too much. We lift that up to the Lord right now. Press into the sufferings that you have not been willing to face. Press into the pains that you have not been willing to address to yourself. Press into those things because God loves you. You are safe to do that. You are safe to address the ways that you are afraid. To address the ways that you don't like yourself. To address the uncertainty of the future. To address the way that COVID-19 has made you feel. To address and go through hard questions with God. You are safe to do that in the arms of the Father that loves you. So can we just lift up our our struggles to the Lord, right? Can we lift up these trials to God right now? Let's pray. From wherever you're listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkmc.com.